Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome into another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar and Judd Zolged with you. Judd, are you preparing yourself for Vikings and Carolina Panthers? I most definitely am. The end of a uh, three-game road trip. And I'll tell you what, if the Vikings win on Sunday and they and they won all three games, so they beat what? They were beating Detroit, the Falcons, and Carolina. Collar, I think we're talking about 14 wins. I think we're talking about a 14-2. and two. If you get by Carolina on Sunday, then you got Cincinnati, Green Bay, which might have, have Rodgers but might not, and Chicago. I think we're potentially talking about a 14-win season. I would say 14 or maybe 13 at worst. There's always a possibility of Cincinnati's defense showing up and playing really well, or maybe you go into Week 17 and you sit a bunch of starters and they want to play all their starters and you know with Chicago and you end up losing that game, but it doesn't matter. But this is mm-hmm. the this is the one Judd that basically determines uh, who's going to be the top dog in the NFC because when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles, they've got tough back-to-back games they've got to go out and play the los angeles rams namely and uh, i think the eagles showed a little weakness last week when they lost that game to seattle and the vikings just continue to roll yeah and it's interesting too because after watching the game on sunday night between uh, seattle and philly philly's a really good team i like them but i mean i don't think that there is a clear-cut top team in this conference i'm Philadelphia is good. The Vikings are good. Uh, but, I mean, there is a very realistic chance, and I'm probably going to jinx the entire thing by saying this now, but there is a very realistic chance that you are going to be looking at a Vikings team that has home field for the playoffs, which would be obviously incredible considering the fact that the Super Bowl is here as well. So, yeah, I mean, this is going to, to be key, but Philly and the Vikings, to me, are very, very close. Now, I would also say that New Orleans, now they don't have the greatest chance to come up and end up winning the NFC, but I look at them as probably the strongest overall team in the NFC if their mm-hmm. defense is playing well. And they've been without Marshawn Lattimore for a couple of games. He's going to come back and be fine. He's a great young player. And I look at their offense as the best in the NFL. And the fact that Elvin Kamara has gone from a guy who was sort of intriguing in the draft to a superstar that quick. 
and now that they can actually stop people on defense, they look like the most dangerous. And the thing is, it's hard to compare a little bit with them because they have beaten some really good teams. They lost to the Vikings, but their defense was not on the same page yet when they played the Vikings in week one. Nowhere close to the level that they're playing right now. So I have a tough time getting a gauge on how well they would match up with the Vikings, even though those two played. And the other one is is the Seattle Seahawks. I don't leave them out of this conversation because I think they'd be a two-loss team, too, if Blair Walsh could make some field goals, right? Russell Wilson. And Russell Wilson's incredible. Absolutely. I mean, that offensive line, if it's not in shambles, it's certainly not great. Russ, watching Russell Wilson is – I. There, there's, there are a lot of QBs who can move. Case Keenum, case in point, right? I mean, here's a guy who is very good. I, I think we've now come to a point where we're taking for granted what Keenum can do in the pocket, mm-hmm. and he can, you know, he can move to his left and right and throw, and it's impressive. Russell Wilson is otherworldly, though, and I, I compared him on, on the show to Phil and, and was mocked for this to a point guard, but Russell Wilson reminds me of a point guard. Like, he's constantly surveying things. He... He will leave the pocket. He will come back in the pocket. He will survey things again, and then, if necessary, have time to leave the pocket again. Um, so, you know, w- when you look at at the uh, at Seattle, they're certainly in the secondary. They've got problems. The offensive line can be a mess. But when you look at that receiving core, and when you look at that quarterback. I agree. You can't dismiss them. Yeah, and the, their defensive line is as good as any defensive line in the NFL, and I think that mm-hmm. that's where they gave Philadelphia the most problems was that Carson Wentz has had pretty good protection all year, and they pressured Wentz a lot, and then he made some mistakes himself, and I think Wentz has developed himself into a very, very good quarterback, but I don't know how good he will be come playoff time. He's a little bit like Dak Prescott from last year. And I, and I think Dak Prescott is still really good. He's been playing with a hand injury this year. That team has kind of fallen apart. Uh, but Dak Prescott last year, we saw him be so good during the regular season. He had his moments, uh, the comeback against Green Bay in the playoffs. But ultimately, Aaron Rodgers is the one that ends up winning out. So, you know, will it be Carson Wentz, the guy who's inexperienced, or will it be a more experienced quarterback that ends up winning out like Drew Brees or like Russell Wilson? And I, I agree with what you're saying with Wilson. He has the most time in the pocket, or I should say the most time before throwing the ball in the NFL, but a lot of it is spent outside the pocket just waiting for somebody to get open. And he has his receivers that are able to get open down the field uh, if you give them any sort of time. Doug Baldwin, I think, is one of the least appreciated great wide receivers in the NFL. So -hmm. I think what we're looking at here with the Vikings is they stack up against these three or four teams very, very closely with the Eagles, with New Orleans. I would still say the Rams, even though they beat the Rams. Uh, But that was a close game for most of it, and Adam Thielen's hitch route for 65 yards made that look a little uh, more distance between the two teams than it actually was. But it was a close game, mostly between the Vikings and Rams. And then Seattle, because Wilson is playing at an MVP level, would be the one that if you're going into a playoff game against him, I would be concerned because the Vikings pass rush, sometimes with great pass rushers, it just doesn't matter with Wilson because he just runs all over the place and he finds ways to make plays downfield. Uh, with, With all of that said, this matchup this week will give the Vikings potentially a chance to do what you mentioned, which is to have home field throughout would would be an incredible accomplishment for this team but 
let's not put the cart before the horse, Judd. Do you think that the Vikings should handily win this game against the Panthers, or are you taking the Panthers really seriously? I'm taking them seriously. Um, it's, a, it's a third consecutive road game, which is always tough. I think the Vikings should should win this game, but I don't think it's going. I don't believe it's going to be a blowout. I mean, I think we're talking about a touchdown or, or three three points or so. When you've been on the road for this long, and here's the thing, it felt like to me the game against Detroit. You know that that's a tough environment, right? Thanksgiving Day. That's that on that day. That's a tough place to play. Uh, you won that game. You go play the Falcons, uh, defending uh, conference champions. That's a tough game. My one, my one concern, and I don't think this this team, this Vikings team, is going to be guilty of it. But my one concern is now you get to a third game. Carolina's good, but they're not great. Uh, Cam has certainly struggled against you at times, and so now for a third consecutive game, you go on the road and and you have to be uh, as intense, I guess, potentially again. So, is there going to be a bit of a of a off the gas pedal field from the Vikings? I think there potentially could be. But I think they should win this game. I am not predicting two touchdowns, though. I don't. I think this is going to be close. Um, but once again, who cares? It's a road game. If you win by a touchdown, fantastic. If you win by three, that's great. So I guess I put these three games all in the same boat, which is if you win them, short of, of looking disastrous or players being hurt, if I'm the Vikings, I don't care. They're wins. I leave. I say thank you. I move on. I think the biggest question for me – with the Vikings going to face Carolina, is it, are we going to see the same Cam Newton that has played Mike Zimmer the last two times and really, really struggled? I mean, last year he gets sacked eight times, throws three picks, has about the worst day possible. He got injured in that game, too, and looked like he just had no chance against the Vikings' defense, which was a lot about his offensive line letting him get clobbered over and over again, and they couldn't establish any type of running game They've at least added Christian McCaffrey, a very intriguing weapon. I don't think their offensive line is a whole lot better, and we'll get to that uh, in a bit with with Matt Khalil. (laughs) But, you know, I'm looking at Cam Newton's season, and it has been very much the feast or famine. He's got some incredible games this year. Against the New England Patriots, he threw for 316 yards, three touchdowns, a 130.8 quarterback rating in that game, and added a rushing touchdown and 44 yards on the ground. You almost can't play better than that in the NFL. And against the Bill Belichick defense, they're not as good this year as they have been. But still, I mean, put up an incredible game. And then demolished the Miami Dolphins, where he had 120 quarterback rating, 95 yards rushing, four touchdowns. Last week, he was pretty good against uh, the New Orleans Saints. But there are also games mixed in where he has a 43 quarterback rating, a 48, a 54. If the Vikings get the great version of Cam Newton, his ceiling is about as good as any quarterback in the NFL. But when he's having a tough day, it seems like he can't do anything. Here's my sense of Cam. And, and it's it's going to be weird because I fully get that the Cam will run, and so Cam gets hit, okay? But, Matthew, my sense of Cam is this. If you begin to abuse him in the pocket, if you begin to hit, hit him a lot, I think you take away his will a, a bit. And the key step for me is... Zimmer has faced, um, since taking over as a Vikings coach in 2014, his defenses have faced the Panthers and Cam Newton twice. The first time was 2014. The second time was the game that you talked about last year. And in those two games, they have sacked him a total of 12 times. 
The first one was uh, at TCF Bank Stadium when the Vikings played a couple of years outdoors. At the Gopher Stadium, they beat them 31-13, and then it came back last year, abused Cam again, and beat him uh, 22-10. So, and, and the thing that I, I was thinking about this today, and think I ask you this question on the air as well, but the thing with me is how many quarterbacks this year have we seen get comfortable against the Vikings? And by that, I don't mean that they're being sacked a ton. I mean that they don't look comfortable. Matt Ryan didn't, right? And so I think if you can spend all of Sunday with Cam being uncomfortable, he can take off and run, but that curtails his effectiveness. And the thing with him is I think if you take away his ability or his his willingness to think that, that he has options, you take away a lot of his game. Yeah, he does seem like a guy that will, I, I don't want to really say pout, but maybe get down on the situation. Uh, yeah, that happened. It happened in the Super Bowl where he didn't, mm-hmm. famously, he didn't dive after the fumble, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, I guess in the Super Bowl, you just have to. The game was kind of over at that point. But he showed that he had given up or just gotten to a point where he was so frustrated that he was focused more on the frustration than he was on the play-to-play uh, by the end of that game. And it was a big letdown for him. And then he kind of showed that again after the game. And it did happen against the Vikings where you felt like they, if I remember last year, they got off to a pretty good start in that game, but then they started to whack him around a little bit and it frustrated him. Then I think he tried playing most of the game injured after he took yeah. a pretty good hit. So that, that impacted him as well. But I, I agree with that. If, if it's not his day, a lot of times it's really not his day. I mean, they mm-hmm. lost 17-3 to earlier this year at Chicago where he got sacked five times. And Chicago is one of the worst teams in the NFL. But then there are other times where he's rolling and he just cannot be stopped. And there's the running part of his game. And, and now it, they've changed a little bit, Judd, because this, this year his yards per completion are at their lowest. Yards per completion is usually a stat that tells you more about scheme than it does how good the quarterback has been. And sure. they've, they've started using a lot more of the short passes, and McCaffrey has become really their guy that they're going to over and over and over again. And, and that seems to match up really well with the Vikings. I mean, for in the Vikings' favor, because they have shut down so many good running backs coming out of the backfield, including Elvin Kamara, which has now become a huge part of the, of the Saints' offense. Uh, Cleveland, that was their only passing game to throw to the short uh, running backs. Uh, Detroit has the two running backs who can catch out of the backfield. Le'Veon Bell didn't have a very good day. It seems like that's going to be really tough if they can slow down McCaffrey the same way that they've done to many other running backs. What would you do? So if if uh, Ron Rivera called you, Colin, and said, how do you think I should attack this defense? Hmm. What would be your game plan? Oh, man. What, because this defense, I mean, I give him credit, and I'm I'm a guy that ordinarily doesn't you know get too excited about things, but when I think about this defense, how do you attack it? Because they stop the run, which is their starting point, I do believe. But beyond that, they make quarterbacks incredibly uncomfortable. They they apply pressure. Now, if you if you take a component or two out, as with any good team, that affects it massively. But when you have a core group of uh, Joseph and Griffin and Hunter, and Kendricks, and Barr, and Smith, and Rhodes, 
This defense, if I was asked for a formula to attack it, I don't know that there is a really good one. Yeah, and from year to year, Andrew Sandejo keeps getting better. So I think in he the does, past, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had, had a great play last week against Julio Jones, and Trey Wayans has taken huge steps just within this season alone from where he started in those first couple games. Agreed. And just can I just double back on a. Uh, you know, when people said that they got Tremaine Brock because of Trey Wayans, that was not ever correct. Like They expected this type of season from Trey Wayans because in training camp they saw him taking big steps and did not panic after those bad first couple of weeks. But anyway, uh, Wayans has played really well, I think, over the rest of the season. I can't think of a time where I thought, oh, man, he really blew this, that, or the other thing. He had one great catch happen against him uh, in the Washington game, but that was a circus catch. And since yep. then, there have been a handful of plays, but I, I can't think of anything where I was really uh, frustrated with how he played. But I, I think if Ron Rivera called and asked, that would probably be the way that I would go. I would say if you can get Trey Waynes to commit a pass interference or if you throw at your receiver when Trey Waynes is in great coverage, but you throw at him anyway, you'll, yep. you might get a pass interference or your guy just might make the catch because I still think Waynes has that weakness of not being able to play the ball as well as someone like Xavier Rhodes. Outside of that, with Anthony Barr playing as well as he is, mm -hmm. th there isn't a weakness. Last year I would have said, oh, well, attack Barr in the passing game. But... Anthony Barr has been really good in coverage this year, so there isn't really anything that you can pinpoint and say, oh, yes, uh, opposing teams can do X, Y, or Z. But I would say in a Mike Zimmer defense, there is one area of the field that sometimes gets left open, and it's for that sort of post route over top of the linebackers in zone coverage, that post route to the tight end. And Greg Olson is going to play in this game. <laughs> Uh, that could be a big factor with Greg Olson coming back. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, if you go back to his Bears days, uh, which which obviously predates Zimmer, but if you go back to his Bear days, he's had some very good days against the Vikings. Now, now I would say that that you obviously have to draw a line there when uh, when Mike took over and started to run this defense. But yeah, I just I look at this defense and I think to myself, they wear people down. They wear people down. And so you can start. I mean, the, the only template that I can think of that seemed to work, and, and you could certainly try this, but it's not going to be consistently successful, is week two Pittsburgh, right? Roethlisberger loves to throw this, you know, deep ball and basically say, okay, my guy's going to catch it or draw a penalty. But that's against, or that's with a receiver like Brown, who is all world and fantastic. Um, but this all goes back to why I keep saying, this Vikings uh, team, to me, and defense in particular against the Falcons, pretty much set a template or or blueprint for what they're going to do into the playoffs. And I don't know that you can watch that and say, okay, that's beatable. I mean, you can certainly try and exploit things against it, and you might have some successes here and there. But I don't know that there's one or two things that you're going to be able to go back to over and over and o over again uh, without the defense quickly making an adjustment and stopping it. I had a chance, by the way, speaking of the Greg Olson and how you might attack the Vikings defense, I had a chance today to ask Mike Zimmer about why the pre-snap stuff that the safeties do makes life so difficult on quarterbacks. And mm -hmm. he said uh, one thing is that Harrison Smith and Andrew Sandejo have been together for so long now that 
they have this chemistry with each other and they can make adjustments by themselves out there, which is kind of crazy. And uh, that a lot of times quarterbacks will take the snap and what they thought they saw is no longer there. (laughs) And if you Mm -hmm. consider how quickly the defensive line gets on top, I think that's where the entire Vikings defense begins is with Harrison Smith that you might think, Harrison Smith is going to blitz, and then he doesn't. And then all of a sudden, he's the deep safety, and you're saying, wait a minute, I thought he was going to blitz. I made my adjustment with him up at the line of scrimmage, and now I take the snap, and he's back there because he dropped back at the very last second. And they just gave the Rams fits with that. When I went back and looked on the tape, there was many times where the Rams got their call in, Goff got to the line of scrimmage, he told everybody where they were going to go, and then Harrison Smith changed. And it was what... It was a disaster for golf. And the great thing about that was, was so McVay surveyed the defense, right? He calls the play into golf because he saw how, how things were set. And then we saw it. Smith would basically change it. And, and now McVay has been cut out because I, I think they, what, they cut communication with 20 seconds left or 15 left. Mm-hmm. So now, so now McVay has gone and golf's like, oh my God. And that's exactly it. But but this gets back to my point of, of when I say QBs aren't comfortable, I don't mean just the, the pass rush. I don't mean the physical threat. I mean a comfort of what's this defense doing? I mean, this this is the whole thing. Uh, in, in 2017 now, this is no longer my defense is the Tampa 2, right? I run the Tampa 2, and the Tampa 2 is tough to stop. Well, eventually, if we sit here, we, we can be like, okay, it's tough. It's tough. But if we do this and that and this, to me, what's so impressive about the Vikings defense is you don't know what what you're going to get consistently. So you can watch all the film you want and you can make all the assumptions, but they're going to tweak things constantly. And, and that's the difference between saying this is my scheme and this is how, how it works and it doesn't change to saying this is my scheme, but I'm going to tweak it. And as you just said, now I'm going to take my safeties. And my safeties are so smart and so ingrained that I'm going to give them the freedom to change things. Well, good luck with that. And and many times I think an offense will look at a defense, make its decision. And we saw this last week with Case Keenum. And I, I took a few of the video clips and put them at 1500ESPN.com for an article where Keenum kind of waited out the Falcons' defense. He, they would send someone in motion. Okay, now he's figured out if it's man or zone coverage. So he's got you there. And then he might look like he was going to about to take the snap and their safety, who's very good, Keanu Neal, he moves into place right before the snap. So now Keenum's got it. He's got the blueprint of what you're doing, basically. He knows where your safety's going to be. He knows whether you're in man coverage or if you're in zone coverage. And a great example was the third down to Laquan Treadwell on that big, long drive. So Keenum reads their pre-snap stuff takes the Mm -hmm. snap they've got two guys coming underneath and crossing each other he knows one of them is going to be open all he needs is the just great protection which he got and Mm -hmm. stood there stepped up in the pocket dropped it off for the first down he knew exactly where everybody was going to be and i feel like with the vikings defense you don't when you take the snap you don't have a good sense for what type of coverage they're going to be in or where someone could be blitzing from, and that has messed with quarterbacks' minds. It's very rare that you see Matt Ryan looking so confused in there, and that's that's the thing with Cam Newton that I think that they've done to him as well in the past, but the factor with him that could even the playing field is his rushing ability, that even if he gets confused, 
and he gets pressured, he might be able to just break a tackle and take it for 60 or 70 yards. I mean, he has a couple games this year. He ran for 95 yards against Miami, 86 against Atlanta, and 71 against Philadelphia. You never know when he's going to have a big game rushing himself, and that might be one factor that could kind of even it out. But let me spin this around back on you, Judd, with the Vikings offense. If you were okay. Ron, if you were Ron Rivera at this point, the Vikings offense, one of the best in the NFL. If you were giving advice to Ron Rivera about stopping the Vikings offense, what would that be? <laughs> uh, and and this is tough uh, because Shermer has done such a good job of changing things week to week. He's done a fantastic job. I mean, when you consider, I'm not sure what, what's more impressive. Zimmer and the defense, which has been phenomenal and fantastic, but we sort of knew that, or the offense, which was lousy a, a year ago, got remade, but I'm sorry, the offensive play calling has been absolutely outstanding. Um, I, I've t- told you this before. The first thing that I would do is, is if I was playing the Vikings and I was a defensive coordinator, I would beat up Thielen and Diggs off the line as much as I could. I would push that as far because... Thielen, it, it, um, his ability to make moves on guys. If you let him, if you let him get off the line, he is a beast. He is a pain in the ass, right? So if I was, if I was a coordinator, I would play press coverage and I would beat those two up constantly. I don't know if it, it would work, but I want to slow them down uh, from getting into the routes as much as possible. That would be my starting point. Um, I also I also would take away the pass to the tight end, which I think can be done here. I mean, Kyle's a nice player. He's done a good job. I don't think he, as, as you've said several times before, I don't think he's a dynamic player. But my most important thing would be I would take away as many of Keenum's options as possible, because if you if you do that, I think you stand you stand a fighting chance of getting pressure to him. Now the now the problem is this. He has such good pocket awareness and ability to move around and just slide around in the pocket that it's a pain. But there seems to be that safety blanket lots of times out there for him where he buys himself time and makes throws. I want to take those options away as much as possible, Matthew. I think what I would do is very similar to what Atlanta did last week, which would be make sure that he has to play in front of you and make sure that those wide receivers don't ever really get behind you and he has to sit there and try to go through progressions in the pocket and then hope you can get pressure but this is the importance of the vikings offensive line that there were i I broke down a few of those plays where uh, on that 15 play drive where the offensive line did such a phenomenal job creating the throwing lanes that needed to be created because it starts with the protection first where they'll double team if it's a four-man rush they'll double team certain guys to push them left or right to open up that throwing lane. And they just did a wonderful job of it on some of the short throws where Keenum was stepping up with nobody around, and he has been good under pressure, but there have been so many times where he hasn't had any pressure at all and has Mm -hmm. had a really nice throwing window too. But I think what I would try to do is, yeah, keep them in front of me and not allow explosive plays 
to the wide receivers, and you have to now stop the run. I mean, Latavius Murray is third best in the NFL since week seven running the ball. (laughs) All of a sudden, he's taken off now that his ankle is healthy, and this offensive line, again, is creating – he's had runs over 30 yards three weeks in a row, so they're creating explosive plays. The other suggestion I might have is do not bring your safety up to the line of scrimmage. That if Latavius Murray's going to beat you, then he's going to beat you. But you cannot let Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs do it. You might have to just try to double both of them somehow. Amen. Yes, that, that's my point. They are, they are both so good at extending routes, too. And, and it's a credit to them. They never give up on routes, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm with you. I, the, my number one thing is I'm going to take Keenum's options away as much as possible. And, and I feel like there's been – now, you're right, the Falcons did a better job of this, but I feel like there's been far too many times where teams just sort of – I don't know if the right word is quit on a play, but just assume the play is dead. And Thielen or Diggs is still like, I'm open, and they are. So I'm with you. I would start off with saying, how can I put Keenum in a position where he's got to go through, through his reads? And keep in mind, too, if you do that, this is where you start to get to a chance of – he makes a wrong read or a dumb read, right? Right. So, so if you if Keenum sees Thielen, I mean, he can throw the ball short of out of bounds, which he's done, but he can throw the ball anywhere in the vicinity, and Thielen's going to have a chance to catch it. Mm-hmm. What I what I want to do is I want to take away as many options as possible, make Keenum uncomfortable as possible, and force him to make a read that might not be there. I mean, he threw he threw two dumb passes, and they both got picked. In Washington, since then he's not been picked. But somewhere inside that brain still exists this guy who's going to throw a few passes that are not smart. And I want and I want to be the team, especially as the playoffs near, or if, if you get in the playoffs, I want to be the team that puts him in a position to make that pass to give myself a chance to pick him off. You know what I might do with him too? That, that would be really important as a defensive coordinator is in the first half. Let's say in the first half we don't blitz at all. We just play that umbrella, that cover three. We keep everything in front of us, and okay, they're going to have some long drives, but they're not going to get the explosive plays, right? And then sure. in the second half, you come out and be really aggressive, and you blitz them all over the place, Ooh, and you try like to stay, that. you try to stay one step ahead of Pat Shermer, which has been impossible, it seems, for defensive coordinators. But I, I think that that's where we've seen Shermer at his greatest. That there were halves where. Case Keenum was just bad. I mean, I think he was bad in the first half of the Atlanta game. I think he was bad in the first half of uh, Baltimore and Cleveland. And yet yep. they came out in the second half and made adjustments. And then all of a sudden, Case Keenum takes off again. And, you know, I noticed one stat too today that the Vikings are among the NFL's highest for short throws in terms of yards that they've gained off of short throws. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's been the second half adjustment. They look for the bigger passes maybe in the first half, and they realize they're not there. So then they go to the short passes. That was last week and have a ton of success. I think you've got to change what you do on defense in the second half against the Vikings, or they're going to beat you every time because they've got a great offensive coordinator. That first Viking scoring drive against the Falcons, I'm sorry, it remains brilliant to me. Case Keenum's not playing well. Uh, His first pass was a dumb pass. The first quarter is coming to an end. You then run into the second quarter. You run a nine-play drive on which you run seven times and, and end it with a pass to McKinnon for a touchdown. 
If you go back and watch that, that to me is all on one person, Pat Shermer, because Keenum was not playing great, and he basically said, okay, how can we establish a drive here on a short field? And, and that is what that is the type of play or series that I look at from th- this year. And if you're a Vikings fan and you've been frustrated for years by Bill Musgrave or Childress's play calling, this is the exact type of drive that you bagged for. And it mm-hmm. wasn't scripted, but it was brilliant. It was brilliant. And Keenum, okay, I get it. He, I'm not trying to take away from him. He led the drive, but that drive was on one person and to one person's credit, and that was Pat Shermer to me. You know, there there might be another way to go about it. I'm, I'm interested to see how defensive coordinators in the playoffs handle this team because I feel like there hasn't been a, a really good job done recently against the Vikings. But another way to do it might be to really test that ability under pressure for Case Keenum. He's been good this year, but yep. in the past he has not been good. And yep. so if you shut down the run, you mentioned how important the run is, and they have great play-action statistics too. They have great run efficiency over the last few weeks. They have explosive plays over the last few weeks. And so if you take away Latavius Murray's ability to get a 30-yard play and put that in your head and you just load up the box and blitz Case Keenum and say, okay, you know what? We might give up one 50-yard pass to Stephon Diggs, but we're also going to force an interception here. And, and that might be the way to do it too, kind of an all or nothing. I'll tell you, Judd, that's what I do on my, uh, my video game defense. You, you know you you know what you're citing, don't you? I mean, you might not. What's that? You are citing the game plan, and I'm not kidding you. And, and granted, they gave up more yards than they desired, but you're citing the exact idea of a certain game that occurred in January 2010 at the Superdome. The NFC Championship game? Yeah, yeah. That's the idea. The, the bounty game, the bounty idea was exactly what you're talking about which is if you beat up Brett Favre to a pulp, see how he does. You're, give, you're, you're essentially, essentially what you're saying is without throwing around hundreds of dollars in incentives, if you come in and make Case Keenum miserable as possible and every time he slides around in the pocket he gets hit, does he start to make mistakes? Well, I That's also, what you're saying. Yeah, I also think about that Detroit game where Detroit didn't blitz a ton, but – if you remember, they ran that blitz that kind of confused him on the protection where he ended up failing on fourth down. I believe it was at the goal line, right? So, yeah, I think that that's one way to go about it is we've given him a lot of credit for how he's handled people in his face and different looks up front. But, you know, I mean, do, do you blitz a bunch of times and then run a zone blitz where you um, uh, drop someone back in coverage that looks like they were going to blitz and, and throw them off? I, I, that That's maybe one of the options too, but I feel like teams have kind of just run their standard defenses. And maybe, maybe but, during the regular season, you go team to team to team and you go, this is what we do. And we'll throw in yes. this or throw in that. But when I think you, you're right, when you get to the playoffs, your sole focus becomes on that team. And then you ramp it up and you focus only on all the different schemes that can beat that one team. That's where it might be different. And that might be, why we see the great quarterbacks separate themselves in the playoffs is because yep. they're scheming specifically just for you. It's not just what we do well, but it is entirely 100% focused on that one game being all or nothing. And, and that might change things because, you know, we, we watch Tampa Bay 
play the same defense that they always oh. play. And the, and the yeah. Vikings just ate it up, and then they went into the second half and didn't change anything, and then they just ate it up some more. And, and I felt like it was a bit of the same way with Atlanta, where it's like, okay, I watched the previous week's tape on Atlanta, and I saw all the same things that they were doing, all the same looks, all the same dropping everybody back in the zones. Like, they didn't really change anything. So Pat Shermer knew what he was looking at. In a playoff game, if you sit down on Monday and, and you know that, that you're going to play the Vikings on Sunday in a playoff game, Matthew, isn't the first thing that you say to yourself, Diggs and Thielen are not going to beat us? That's the first thing I say. 100%, yes. I'm not going to allow them to extend. I'm not going to beat because they. the first thing that I want to do is take away Keenum's safety blanket. I want to take away the blanket that he sleeps with every single night because I want him to cry. <laughs> And he's no, I'm dead right. serious. Yeah, right. So no, I, you're right. I have no, I have no interest in seeing Thielen. If, if, if I'm an opposing a defensive coordinator, I have no interest in seeing Adam Thielen make these circus catches or extend plays, which he's marvelous at doing. So the number one thing I do is I say, okay, because I'm with you. I think that you dare the Vikings to run, especially with with Cook out now. I think you dare the Vikings to run. You know that you're going to give up probably something in the run game. But that being said, I, if I leave the stadium on Sunday having lost because of, of Diggs or Thielen, I feel really, really stupid. Right. The, the difference maker here for all of this, for the reason why it's so hard to scheme against the Vikings on their offense, is the offensive line. Because, you know, a lot of teams have to do kind of what works to their weaknesses to cover them up, things like that. And this Vikings offensive line is so smart that yes. – you can send any. You can do any sort of protection. You can do any sort of scheme with them. You could throw things in there that other teams have not seen them do before, and then their execution has just been incredible over these last few weeks. I, I got a, a, some good questions from people on Twitter about Pro Football Focus ratings and how the, mm-hmm. the PFF ratings are not that impressive for the Vikings' offensive line, and I feel yep. like because the PFF ratings come along with no context whatsoever that a lot of times people just take them for just a rating like you would find on Madden. Like, okay, well, Pat Elfline is a 49, so he's bad. But yep. really, Pat Elfline may have struggled at times on certain plays with awesome nose tackles. And Brandon Williams of the Ravens may have blown up a few plays. But then at the same time, they were able to execute complex schemes up front and run outside zones and then run power runs and all sorts of different things and create some huge runs in that, that Ravens game. So, and they've done that kind of a lot where we've seen, yes, there are some plays that get blown up and he might get beat or he might get pushed back in pass protection, but it hasn't really had an impact on their offense overall. And the good things that Elfline does and the good things that Easton do, do does whatever it is creating really big plays for them. And I, and I think that's where it could be hard to understand that the, sure. di- the difference between someone being rated a 49 and an 89 might be just a handful of plays where you got beat, but it doesn't give you an idea all the time of, of how good of a block you might have had or all the different things that you can do. Um, when Easton got out there against Detroit, it was incredible. He flew out there and hit a safety as they were running a screen play and like okay Alex Boone isn't doing that so Boone might have a better PFF rating but Alex Boone isn't doing that that you just created a a 50-yard play on or 30-yard play 
And, and that's how I try to explain it, that this offensive line is where absolutely everything starts with their offense. And I don't know as a defensive coordinator how you can really adjust to that because they can do almost anything. I saw those grades, and uh, I, I get them, but I'll, I'll say this. If anything, this is a eye test thing, right? I mean, this, this offensive line has been, compared to last year, they've been outstanding. Elf line's been a complete steal in, in the draft. Uh, the guards have been solid, I, I would say. The tackles, compared to a year ago, have been unbelievable. So this, this, is, where, this is where I will side with the Vikings and, and National Football League people that get frustrated by PFF's grades. Like, when, when they told us Khalil was bad, Khalil is bad. And, and for Zimmer and Norv at the time to sit there and try and defend him was ridiculous. Um, but these guys, this line has been really, really solid. And guess what? We don't appreciate there, – there's, there's a lot of things about this team now that, that I, I believe we've started to take for granted, and among them is the fact that aside from week two when, when he was new, Case Keenum does a marvelous job of sensing pressure and navigating around in the pocket. And I can't tell you – I mean – Go back and watch Christian Ponder. Christian Ponder could run. He was actually fairly fast, I think, but he was an idiot. Yeah, like he couldn't yeah, he was feel a very pressure. good athlete. He, yeah, but he couldn't feel pressure. He got sacked because of that. He got pressured. I mean, just watch Keenum subtly shift his weight and shift himself, and, and the line has done a very good job, and Keenum, to his credit, himself can extend plays too. And that's great, but there's just a lot of things, I think, that, that this team does now where, where we're like, well, of course they do. Well, no, no, we have seen the flip side, and the flip side is a lot of sacks and really ugly. Well, the flip side is Matt Khalil, and uh, let us briefly discuss Mr. Khalil because the Vikings are saying the right things, finger quotes. He was a great teammate, looking forward to seeing him again. But realistically, sure. they look over at Riley Reef. And there is so much admiration in the room for Riley Reef that you ask anybody. Uh, I've mentioned this before on the Purple Podcast, but there, if you can read between the lines, if you do this enough and talk to the same guys over and over again, you understand the tendencies of what they're saying. And when they talk about Riley Reef, they go, man, this guy is so tough and he's such a great leader inside the room and he's so smart and we are so thrilled to have him. And mm -hmm. with Khalil, it's... Well, he was a great teammate. And, uh, he owns a pizza joint. Yeah, right. And the, the thing with Khalil that was interesting is I went to Google and I went to news and I typed in Matt Khalil. And you'll never believe what I found, Judd. What I found was at yes. the beginning of the season, Matt Khalil was really, really bad. Like he, worst in the league at giving up no. sacks. Yep. Okay. And they uh, started writing about, well, he's really struggling, he's really struggling. And then Matt Khalil had a couple of good games. And then all the articles are, Khalil finally figuring it out. Khalil finally figuring it out. He's more comfortable because so-and-so on the offensive line is pushing him to be better. Mm-hmm, okay. That was a real article. Some other player pushing him to be better. Okay, great. Of course. So then you got a big game against the New Orleans Saints. Chance to really prove yourself. And, uh... Khalil is about the worst player on the field. And mm -hmm. in one play, he had a holding, a face mask, and gave up a quarterback hit. And it just, like, this is Matt Khalil. It's not that he was always terrible. It's that the good games wouldn't last. 
and it was always articles about, well, he's getting better. How can we make him better? How can we make it better? Right. And you just never really knew what was going to show up on a weekly basis, but I have a pretty good idea of what's going to show up this week against Everson Griffin. You know, Khalil's one of those guys. He had one really good year, his rookie year. He, Matt, he was really good. I mean, for that, for that season, he was a pro bowl alternate. He went to the game and he was, he was great. But besides that, he is one of those guys that you look at and you say it's either injury or, or mental something that he just doesn't like the sport. I mean, I've always come back to this. If you're a good baseball player, you could probably not like baseball and be a good baseball player. If you're a good basketball player, you could probably not like basketball and make millions of dollars and be an okay basketball player. Hockey, I guess, maybe. Not as much. Football, though, you got no chance. If you hate football, it's going to catch up to you. And Matt Khalil is just a guy that never has struck me as the guy, as, as at least since his first year, and it might be because he started to get hurt, as a guy that really loves the sport. Now, now the one thing that I find to be very intriguing here, and and the Vikings offensive line is much improved. It's really good, and, and that's largely because they're good players. But do you find what I have found in covering this sport, which is the continuity and and how an offensive line works together, not only on the field but off, is absolutely imperative. Uh, I've always found that if it's guys who, if you got one loud, if you got one really loud guy, and the rest of them are quiet, like last year with Boone, it creates problems. Everything I've heard about this line is they're good friends, they get along, nobody says much, and I really truly believe. That the that the ability of an offensive line to function as one on and off the field is actually important. Oh, I I think it's a massive deal. It's like with the five guys. It's like a basketball team, right? I mean, you just you need everybody running the same exact play and knowing what each other is doing at, at the same time. And if one guy is off, then it's going to be a big problem. And, I mean, unlike basketball, one guy just can't take over the game on an offensive line. But, sure. I mean, you know, the Mike Zimmer brought this up the other day, that they go six or seven deep on guys that you're talking about that have that similar personality. I, I would call them just professionals, that a lot of the stuff that Alex Boone did was unprofessional. Telling the fans to shut the bleep up after a home game is unprofessional. Yeah. Saying that the Packers are going to win the Super Bowl over his dead bleeping body. These are funny things, but they're unprofessional things, and that doesn't. And linemen usually hate that stuff. I mean, they are correct. They are the last people on earth who want to see their 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 fellow lineman's name in a headline. Right, right, and and that you know, and that matters to those guys, I think. And you plug in Nick Easton, who's about the quietest person that I've ever seen in my entire life. I mean, he is, he might be the quietest player that I've ever covered, but he is, he went to Harvard. He's extremely smart. You've got one guy that went to Harvard, another guy that went to Michigan tech. And then, you know, Rashad Hill is a guy we haven't talked about a whole lot, but the fact that he's been able to slide in there and play for Mike Remmers for all these weeks I mean, it says a lot about him, too, how prepared he was and the type of person that they got. And the times that I've talked to Rashad Hill, the number one thing for him that he always talks about is watching Riley Reef and everything that he does and then copying that. And when he makes mistakes, correcting it. 
We saw him struggle in run blocking, and then we've seen him get better in run blocking. And that's the type of person that they have in Rashad Hill, too. So you're, you're 100% right. This offensive line, I don't care what its PFF grades are. I think it's special. I think it's a very unique group that can do so many different things and be so versatile that that's where the offensive success starts, and it has a lot to do with uh, the front office letting go someone like Matt Khalil. The Vikings can say, yeah, sure, we tried to re-sign him, but, you know, it doesn't seem like you offered him more money to get paid, right? It doesn't seem like you wanted to get into a bidding war to keep him. Instead, you got... Riley Reef. So instead of having a guy who's kind of a wet blanket and a guy who is not a competitor and he's really shown us that over the years, yep. a, a guy who will knock off somebody's hat or throw ice at somebody or you know whatever it might be, this offensive line is not like that at all and it's been a massive massive deal for their success. Is Mike coming back? Remmers? I don't know. Uh you've talked about this on our hockey podcast, Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Um He's got a back injury, and that's worrisome. And it, it sounded to me like Remmers is not going to play this week. Unfortunately for him, because he's going back to Carolina where he became a real NFL player. Uh, but yeah, right. it, it, he hasn't practiced. It just doesn't look good at all. And I don't know if it's going to get better. He had the concussion first, and then he got back into practice a little and then had a setback. That's, I mean... It's concerning, but it's also amazing the depth that they have on this line where they've missed a couple of different guys at times, and it hasn't made any difference at all. No, and, and to, to your point, Hill's been fantastic. In fact, in fact, Hill's been so good, and I'm not saying he's great, but he's been very solid. I do wonder if they've sat down a few times and said, I wonder what if we had plugged him in before uh, T.J. Clemmings got hurt in Week 17 against mm-hmm. Chicago last year. Uh-huh. I mean... Could he play? Because I I believe I work with somebody and I can't remember his name right now who might have suggested that you might as well plug Rashad Hill in because he looks he looks like he knows what he's doing. I wonder if that if that conversation and I'm just saying in retrospect now it wouldn't make a damn bit of difference. I wonder if that conversation has taken place. Now I didn't see anything in particular from Rashad Hill that made me think that because I I can't watch practice last year. I just thought nothing could be worse and. The, the thing that w- when I talked to Hill, though, I was pretty impressed by him. And the thing that he has that's really great is he's got these ridiculously long arms. And it just seems that even if somebody gets a little edge on him, he can keep him kind of at bay by using his long arms. He's got he's just so sure. wide and, and has the long arms that he makes it difficult. And he ranks 30th in the NFL. This is now I will use the pro football focus here just on his pass blocking. Imagine if they had that. Imagine if last year they had the 30th best pass-blocking left tackle. I know he's playing right side, but just imagine that. As opposed right. to dead last, what they had in T.J. Clemmings. They would have probably made the playoffs have been a legit contender because the rest of the team yeah. was a lot of this same team that we're seeing now. But letting Khalil go, if you're pointing to any one major thing that is the difference maker for where this team is to where they would have been otherwise... Yep, Riley Reef over Khalil, and I would also say signing uh, or uh, drafting Pat Elfline too. Complete, complete game changer. Chemistry wise, the subtraction, not even additions. Chemistry wise, the subtractions of Matt Khalil, as you have brought up, Cordell Patterson, Adrian Peterson, have been huge. They've been absolutely huge because the one this is unlike a few teams in this town. 
this is the first time that I remember the Vikings being likable in quite a while. Yeah, as far as very I can much. tell, this is a likable group of people. I'm not all saying. I'm not saying they're all saints. I'm not saying that they're all great. I have no idea. But as a group, a lot of times it becomes very easy to judge a team and say that's a likable group of players, or that's not. This Vikings team now. With, with the players that they have seem to be a likable group of people. Well, I think part of, a major part of that is the stories behind the guys and then just the intelligence of the team. Mike Zimmer, it stuck out to me that for a while, Mike Zimmer had these things that were kind of like written all over the place in the uh, practice facility and stuff, and they all sort of brought it back to intelligence. And mm-hmm. every player, I was talking about this with Stefan Diggs today, he said, look, we're, we're all fast, we're all athletic. Some guys are a little more than others, but if your mind moves fast, that's your real advantage. That's what gets me. That's what makes me think, man, this guy's good when he's smart. When I go up against a corner and I say, man, he knows what route I'm going to run before I run it, that's when it's difficult, not when yeah. the guy's fast or quick or strong. And uh, that, the whole team is built on that premises. And even when you talk to some of these guys, uh, Latavius Murray's a good example. You talk to him and you go, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's exactly the type of person that they wanted on this team. And that, that's why I think that it's likable is that from kind of top to bottom, uh, you have a team that's built on character and competitiveness and intelligence. Mm-hmm. You don't have any guys that are wearing socks with their own face on them. <laughs> no, I, it's funny, but it's it's, it's entirely true and and I don't sense that, that you have guys going to the coaches to say, why didn't I get my four? Right. They might yep. go to the coaches and say, here's what I think we should do, and that's fine. But I don't I don't sense that uh, Latavius Murray is going upstairs to say, hey, I just looked at the stats, and why didn't I get 18 right. carries? Correct. And the way, the way Latavius Murray handled the beginning of the season, I thought was incredible and really telling. Two people have had reasonable gripes. One of them is Teddy Bridgewater that Teddy Bridgewater could have said, you should put me back in as soon as I'm ready. I'm the starting quarterback. I'm the franchise quarterback. And yep. he, you've seen a grand total of zero reports that Teddy Bridgewater is disgruntled or that he's leaving after this year. He has been zero for a distraction since Case Keenum's taken over. That's a great and point. Latavius Murray, zero for a distraction. In fact, Latavius Murray would come out each week to his locker after games that he played poorly in at the beginning of the year, and he would talk about how good Delvin Cook was. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. We have seen the exact opposite of that in many different ways from whether it's Adrian Peterson or Cordero Patterson or whomever, where we've seen, yeah, a lot of the players do just spin the cliches, but there are other ones who behind the scenes you hear about problems or you just flat out see him. You know, Laquan Treadwell, we have really pounded on Laquan Treadwell for Mm -hmm. his lack of production for a first-round pick. But let Mm -hmm. me say this about Laquan Treadwell. Somebody asked him the other day, I forget who it was, asked him about not having any catches. Like, man, you're just never getting the ball. And he answered it exactly right, and I think it's really been – his approach. I don't think that he's been a prima donna. I've never thought that he had that problem. And I I mean, I've never thought that he wasn't a hard worker. So even Treadwell has changed over the last year where maybe he was frustrating some people with his approach coming in, thinking I'm the first round pick. Why am I not playing and whatever else to now he's just found his role and he's just playing his role out there. Maybe that's just what winning does. So then it builds on top of it. But 
that also might be a main reason that this team is where it is right now, considering some of the things that happened to them early in the year. I think it's two things. Winning is an important one, and I also think that when a guy like Murray is a class act or Teddy is a class act, it's very hard if you're Michael Floyd to sit there and bitch. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think when Teddy Bridgewater basically sits there and is like, Case Keenum is so great and this is fantastic, and you're saying, but you thought you should be playing, right? And he never says yes. I think it's very hard if you're a role player who thinks he deserves his to then gripe. The flip side to that, of course, is when Peterson goes up to Zimmer's office and says, I had 